just want to speak on the subject of the living God tonight, the living God. Just under 30 times in the Bible we have this phrase, the living God, and it's a very significant phrase, and I think it's worth us understanding a little bit about its context and how we can apply it to our lives and our believing God. I'm going to read the whole of Psalm 42 together with you. And look out for verse 2 where we hear the phrase, the living God. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul pants after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they always say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things... I pour out my soul within me, for I would travel with the throng of people. I proceeded with them to the house of God, and with the voice of joy and thanks, with a multitude making pilgrimage. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you so disquieted in me? Hope in God, for I will yet thank him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from the hill of Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in daytime, and in the night his song will be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy, with shattering in my bones those harassing, harassing me reproach me, when they say to me every day, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you cast down? Why do you groan within me? Wait for God. I will yet thank him, for he is my deliverance and my God." What a wonderful psalm, heartfelt psalm this is. And in this psalm, we see the psalmist struggling, struggling with something. He is under oppression. The enemies seem to be in control. The false gods of the enemies seem to be in control. And his heart is saying, where is God? And you see this great desperation in his life uh, at the beginning where he talks about a deer in a desert thirsting, parched, thirsting for the beautiful water brooks to quench its thirst. I don't know if you've ever had a thirst. I mean a real thirst. Sometimes we feel a bit thirsty and thank God we're in a country where you can turn on any cold tap and you can have drinking water basically. It, uh, drinking water is there when you need it. But those of you that might have been in other countries where you know that when drinking water is far and few between, then it suddenly becomes very precious. And when you've really, really been thirsty and not been able to quench your thirst at will, but have had to wait and wait, that taste of water is, is, is an amazing thirst-quenching experience. Well, this person is thirsting for God. But he's not just thirsting for some God, any God, wherever God might have. It says that he is thirsting for the living God. And it's this phrase I want to talk to you about today. 
his enemies, a number of times in this Psalm 42, his enemies are saying, where's your God? Where is your God? There's no evidence of your God. In fact, it looks like your God doesn't exist because we can't see any help from your God. And he's feeling in himself, he's down, he's downcast, he's struggling because he's wanting to see the living God He's being mocked because his God doesn't seem to be doing anything and he's in a struggle. He does end with a note of faith by, saying, by trying to encourage himself and saying, wait for God, I will yet thank him for he's my deliverance and my God. What is his hope in? It's not just hope in God. The psalmist's hope is in the living God. And I want to explain what this living God means. I won't go through the whole, whole psalm, but Psalm 84 also speaks about the living God. Psalm 84, verse 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my body cry out for the living God. Again, you've got this hunger, this thirst, this desperation. Uh, th this man is, is fainting. He's so desperate to see the living God. Well, this phrase, the living God, when we see it in its different contexts in the Old and New Testament, is speaking about a God that is alive. In other words, a God who does act. A God that does react, who acts in human events, reacts to human events, and intervenes in human affairs, even when at the time he seems to be absent or perhaps totally disinterested. In these two, these two psalmist prayers, it's like, where is God? What we really need, these psalmists are saying, is the living God, the God that is active, the God that manifests, the God that shows, the God that intervenes and the God that interferes. Where is the living God? In some other passages, we see this again as, as the idea of the active God, the God, if you like, that shows up. Joshua chapter 3, verse 10. And Joshua said, By this that you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites. In other words, the people were about to go into the uh, promised land and drive out the inhabitants who were ripe for the judgment of God. And what Joshua is, didn't, he didn't just say, know that God is with you. He could have said, know that God is with you as you go to possess, possess the land. But he said, you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out the enemies. In other words, God was going to show himself, God was going to act, and God was going to intervene. Now, when you think about what happened at Jericho, you see that it was God in all his glory that came and, and gave them that great victory. It was the living God. Another great example of faith that, that, that Joshua had in the living God to intervene, another great example of faith in the living God is David. David called on the living God to deal with Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, 
What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, the difference between the armies of Israel and the young shepherd boy at that precise moment is this. The armies of Israel believed in God. But David believed in the living God. There's a very big difference to believe in God and to believe in the living God, to believe in the God who will act, the God that will respond to faith, the God that will intervene on behalf of his kingdom. So David is saying, what's going on? Don't, don't you know God is alive? Why are you so fearful? Well, the armies of Israel were fearful because to them, at that time, Goliath seemed far more alive than Yahweh. Do you hear what I'm saying? Goliath was in front of them. Every morning he would turn up this huge figure of a giant and he would taunt not only Israel, but he would taunt the God of Israel. Where's your God? Where's your belief in God? Where's your faith? Where's your power? And he would curse the Israelites. He would curse the God of the Israelites and he would call on his false gods, no gods. And so the Israelites, they were intimidated and, and to them, Goliath was very alive, believe me. He was shouting at them. He was standing before them. Their whole senses, their ears and their eyes could, could see that Goliath was alive. And even their, their physical bodies were trembling with fear because this man was alive and uh, fearsome. But David saw it's totally different because he didn't just believe that there was a God in Israel, he believed in the living God. And he'd had an experience of the living God. Your experiences of God are one of your greatest weapons to face the enemy that comes to you in your present and your future. God gives us all an experience of the living God in many different ways. Can you think of a time when God came through for you? Everybody's shaking their head. Can you think of a time when God answered a prayer? Can you think of a time when it didn't look like God was anywhere and then he just turned up? When you've been waiting and waiting and then God came through and it wasn't, well, maybe God came through or maybe it just worked out. You know that God came and he became alive in that. Well, David had had these experiences as a young boy, he'd had to call on the living, boy, or living God to protect his flock. He had to defeat a bear. He had to defeat a lion. And in his mind was this, the God that delivered the bear, the God that delivered the lion into my hand when I was protecting my sheep is the same God that can deliver this uncircumcised Philistine who does not have the living God on his side. 1 Samuel 17, 36, same chapter. David says... Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, we trust in the word of God. God is alive in his word. The word is living and active. 
And so when we trust God, we read, I'm preaching from the Word of God today and so that you can believe in who He is as the living God. But also, He is giving you, at times, experiences of His breaking into your life and circumstances so that you can build your own history with God. God will never put, some, never put you through a trial or a situation that you can't handle with him. He'll put you in a trial or a circumstance that you can't handle, but he won't put you in a trial or a circumstance that you can't handle with him. He won't put you in a situation that you can't handle with him. He knows what's next on your agenda to strengthen you in your faith and relationship with him. So whatever experiences might be your lion or your bear, or however little you've seen of God in your life, these are part of God's plans so that you grow in trusting him for the next situation where you need to call on the living God. We also see Daniel. I mean, I could pick some other situations. just want you to get a feel of where the living God is needed. Uh, when we think of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 20, and Daniel was thrown into uh, the lion's den. And then the king comes and says in Daniel 6.20, And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Because there was a testimony from Daniel, and that was, God will save me, or God is able to save me, and the reason that God is able to save me is that he's living. It was the same with Meshach, Abednego, and Shadrach. They said, God is well able to deliver us. Why? Because God is alive. But even if he doesn't, because he has some other purpose, we will trust him and we won't bow our knees. You see, these people were able to deal with the obstacles of life with great faith in the living God. They knew he was alive. They knew he was involved in their circumstances. And whether they were saved and delivered or not, it didn't make that much difference to them because God was so alive that he'd be alive and well in the saving of them, but he'd also be alive in the delivering of them. It was the same God in exactly the same type of activity. Wow, what faith to believe that God can deliver you, but also give you into the hand of somebody, and yet at the same time be totally active, totally in control and worthy of trust. Very high levels of faith to go down into the lion's den, isn't it? Well, God did deliver Daniel, and the king came out, and then he knew God. He knew many gods, but now he had met the living God. And in Daniel 6.26, he says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. I could give you some other examples, but I'm hoping to show you this, who this living God is and how we believe in him. In fact, it's interesting, in Matthew 16, 16, we get the great confession of Peter regarding Jesus. Jesus asks the question, who am I? Who am I? Who is Jesus? Who am I? 
And they say, well, there's different opinions on who you are, Jesus. If you know the passage there in Matthew 16. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And then Jesus says, well, all right, who do you say I am? And Peter, not by his own inspiration, but by the inspiration of the Father, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, why would he say the living God? Well, he'd been inspired by the Father because everything Jesus was doing was full of the life of God. He was intervening with his preaching. He was intervening with his healing. He was intervening with his miracles. He was intervening with his authoritative teaching that people were astonished. People were, were as astonished by Jesus' teaching as they were by his miracle working. And so Jesus was just the living God incarnate, coming into broken lives, sick lives, lives that lacked provision. He was just going in and laying hands on the sick and they were recovered, giving the words of life, giving the words of wisdom. Everywhere where he went, the living God was there, breaking in making a difference, changing people's lives, turning them right side up. Another passage. I'm just going through some passages here and then I'll come to, to um, a conclusion. Acts 14 verse 15. Sometimes the phrase living God in the Old Testament is used uh, to, to distinguish God from the idols that have no life. And here in Acts, when Paul is, is uh, preaching to the Gentiles, and they've just seen Paul and Barnabas working miraculously and, and with such a powerful anointing that they bow down and begin to worship them. And he says to them, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven, the earth, and sea, and all the things that are in them. They've been worshipping pagan gods that, that have no life, no power, but they'd seen something on Paul and Barnabas, something about their preaching, something about their ministry, and they thought, look, we found the real gods. But they hadn't found the real gods, but they found the real living God working through his servants. Romans 9 verse 26 says this, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, that they shall be called sons of the living God. The problem here was Jewish people weren't getting saved like they used to. The early days of Acts and the revival amongst the Jews had now turned into a great revival amongst the Gentiles. And Paul was having to ask the question, has God given up on his people? And this is what he's doing, Romans 9, right through to, to, to 11, through 11. Has God, is God given up on his people? And he says, no, he's not given up on his people. This is all part of his plan. And one day he's going to return and those, he's going to come to them and, he's, and they're going to be called sons of the living God. This was what was spoken about the Gentiles. For so many generations, the Gentiles had been seemingly excluded from God's covenant. But now they were sons of the living God. And now the question is going to be, have the Jews been given up? 
uh, by God. But no, God's going to come round in turn and he's going to bring a worldwide a, a, a revival where all Israel will be saved. And, they will be, and we will be, all be known together, Jews and Gentiles, as sons of the, the living God. The living God. The God that intervenes in the Gentiles. The God that will also again intervene in the, the Jewish people en masse uh, before he returns. Also, we understand this living God in the way that we should live our normal lives and the decisions that we make. Sometimes we make wrong decisions and, and sometimes we go the carnal way or the fleshly way or, or the way that we know not to be true in Scripture. And one of the reasons I think that we go the wrong way is that God seems far from us. It's like God doesn't seem to be worried. I'm doing something wrong, but God hasn't stepped in. Uh, I tried it once, but no lightning bolt came from heaven to strike me. Uh, I, I, I may be lying or, or cheating with my finance. And to begin with, I was a little scared that God might step in, but I've found that he hasn't stepped in. I've found that backsliding or going the wrong way or not dealing with a particular issue in my life, or, or that, that I was worried at first that God, something terrible was going to happen to me, but as I went on in this sin, or this backsliding, or this, this, this wrong attitude, I realized that, hey, God hasn't really done anything. Maybe God's not worried about it. Maybe it's not a big deal in God's eyes. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe, maybe I am the exception and, and not the rule. Uh, or, or here's one. Maybe God is such a, this is, this is a one today. Maybe God is such a, such a God of grace that actually it doesn't matter that I'm doing these things that I know not to be lined up with scripture, but God is so gracious. He understands my weakness. He's not bothered about it. He's so gracious that uh, holiness can take a, a back seat because if he wasn't gracious, then surely he would have done something by now. Well, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, when Paul is dealing with the Corinthians about, about doing such things that God wasn't pleased with, he says, and, what, and, and in this case, prostitution, and in what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 continues this theme of the living God and realizing that God is alive even when at the particular moment he doesn't seem to be very active in your circumstance or he seems to have allowed you to continue in the ways that aren't his. Hebrews warns, Hebrews 3.12 using the children of Israel uh, that didn't enter into the land of Canaan because they didn't believe God. And it says, Hebrews 3.12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. In other words, treating God as if he's not alive. You say, well, I believe in God. Yes, that's, I believe in the true God. Well, maybe you do. I'm not doubting that. But there's a difference between believing in God even the true God, and, and believing in the living God, in saying, my goodness, if God has said it, I know he can do it because he's alive. My goodness, even if I don't get punished 
for going down this ungodly route. I'm not going to do it because God is alive. He's awake. He's aware. And even if he's not right now stepping in and punishing me, it's not gone beyond his attention. What's that? That's faith in the living God. The Hebrews, uh, the Moses generation, they went away from the living God. They didn't believe that God could do it. Time after time, he stepped in as the living God. And the next test, they said, God's not going to do it. God, why did you take us out of Egypt to be destroyed by Pharaoh? And then God opens the waters and is the living God and they go through. Why did you take us out of Egypt from Pharaoh? Take us through these living waters, that we were, these, these waters into the desert, that we would die from thirst. And then God takes them to the waters of Mara and steps in. God, why would you bring us all this way to this water? And then it's all bitter. What type of sick God are you to do this? And then God cleanses the water. Why won't you give us food? Then God gives them the food. We're sick of this food. Then God gives them another food. Then God says, go and spy out the land. And, and uh, two of them come back with a good report and, and say, God is with us. You hear what I'm saying? Their problem was is that they kept acting as if God wasn't able or willing to act. Hebrews again in 10 verse 31 says this, again warning. He says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, there's other areas that I could go to, but I think I can bring this home to you today. God is alive. He's living. He's active. He's watching. God is watching us as the song goes. God is watching. God is listening. God is watching every human being every moment of the time with his full attention. God is watching what goes on in governments and nations. He is watching. He is watching. He is watching. Sometimes I've sort of said to God, Lord, what must... I remember once going to Egypt and staying in Cairo and seeing all these millions and millions of people that were Muslims that didn't know the true and living God. you know what I'm saying? And I was thinking how God, every moment of every day, for centuries, you've been watching generation after generation of the people of Cairo, not knowing you, not acting with you, but it's not that you, you have left them, but you, you have, you've watched them. The patience of God is astonishing. I mean, he can deal with uh, nations over centuries. I mean, even the children of Israel were 300 years in the wilderness. Three, sorry, 300 years in Egypt. 300 years of God. The living God, he was as live and active for those 300 years as it was when he broke through. But it was his plans, it was his purposes. Sometimes in your life, God seems very, very quiet. Very, very quiet. Seems to have redrawn. But let me encourage you. God is as active in his silence as he is in his speaking. God is as active when you can't see him as he is when he breaks through. 
Of course, we love the breakthrough, and the psalmist, as I returned to him, was looking for that breakthrough. He ended by saying, he said, I'm seeking the living God. I'm thirsting for the living God. I'm being mocked because my God doesn't seem to be active, and I'm waiting for God. But at the end, he says, but I will trust. I will believe that I will see the living God. I will see my deliverer and my hope. And God was doing a mighty work in his life and in the people's life at that time. His purpose hadn't been shattered. And the contrary, his purpose was being established. And that's a thing to learn, a thing to grow in. Why are you so quiet? Why, God, am I going through... Sometimes you can go through such a painfully, maybe not all of you, but I've been... A painfully boring time. A fruitless time. Day after day week after week, and you're thinking, not this again. Monday rolls around again, it's more of the same. Nothing seems to change, nothing seems to break through, just seems the same. You call upon God, he doesn't show up in a blaze and glory. Everything seems so natural. Everything just seems like the course of your life or that around you is simply going on as if there was no God and it's simply you're living in a natural life without intervention of God. But I want to encourage you to say that in the quiet times, God is at work as powerfully as he is when he brings his breakthrough. And often in these times of testing, or in these times where you don't see the living God, that's when God is saying, believe that I am alive. Believe that I've heard your prayer. Have you ever been in a situation where you prayed something and you thought God had forgotten about it? And then somebody prophesies to you, or something happens, and then God reminds you, well, you did pray to me about that a couple of years ago. Had you forgotten? Yes, I had. It's almost as if God is saying, well, I hadn't. Sometimes I pray a prayer, a constant prayer, and I think, well, I've prayed that. I've prayed that, God, you've heard that. And I know that there is a persistence in prayer. But there's, there's prayers that we've prayed, friends, that God is still hearing. Some prayers we've prayed we've forgotten about. But the Holy Spirit at the right time will remind us of those prayers when he comes to bring the answers. This is an amazing, awesome thing to be sons and daughters of the living God. Sons and daughters. And just like we see in the history of the Gentiles and the Jews, there was times of great movement of God amongst the Jews. Times of great movement amongst the Gentiles and then amongst the Jews again. So we find in our lives there are seasons of great quietness, if I can put it that way, where we're just going back and it's like, where is your God? Where is your God? Look at your life. Where is your God? You can hear Satan mocking you. Maybe people or family members around you mock you. Where's your God? Where's your God? And you think, yeah, where is my God? But at that time, you need to believe. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust him. Keep praying. Keep hanging on. You're bringing more honor to God in that time where he's not living, if you know what I mean, actively, than you are when he breaks through. And God is going to break through. God is going to rush through and break through and God is going to show signs. He's going to come. He's going to turn things around in an instant. But we have to trust him in that. We have to have the Daniel type of uh, faith. 
I hope I've imparted something tonight. It's not been a clever sermon. It's just been a few scriptures. There's so many ways the Holy Spirit can apply this into our lives. The living God, the living God, the living God. The Bible is full of the living God. But the Bible is full of, you know, you hear Pentecostals and they always talk about how God acts in the Bible. And they always turn to the moment of triumph, the moment of breakthrough, the moment of deliverance. That's the Pentecostal way, isn't it? They always, where's God at is most manifest? And they preach that. But the Bible is also full of times where God is very quiet behind the scenes, but just as active. And we need to mature and believe in both. Because I tell you what, when, that, when God broke through for that psalmist, how do you think he felt? When God breaks through, he wants us to appreciate it. The longer you wait, the more you trust in the living God. When God shows up, you're so grateful, so grateful. Uh, and I'm not saying he's fully shown up, but I think of some things in my life this year where God showed up. He's working behind the scenes more than he's showing up. But I tell you what, the, in my life, but the moments he has shown up, to you they might not have meant much, but I knew it was the living God. And I can live off those things. You know what I'm saying? It's the living God. And I'm thinking, wow. And I'm, th I'm thinking, wow, that was God. I mean, that was God, the living God, showing himself. Wow, if that's what he does when he shows himself, how much more is he working behind the scenes? As powerfully for those that love him. Working for those that love him, all things. Bang, he manifests himself. How exciting, how wonderful. And there's going to be more of these inbreakings of God. I believe in our lives as we mature. I'm praying that God will so inbreak and so come forth that the whole nation and Europe will be shaken again by the living God. And, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Sometimes I think, I don't know what you're going to do. And I'll finish on this. Sometimes I say to myself, God, I don't know what you're going to do if you break through in Great Britain and Europe. I don't know if I'll be able to handle that type of excitement. I don't know. Just please help me be able to be mature enough to steward my part in it. Because I, just, I think I'm going to be like a giddy kid. I think I'm just going to be overexcited. I'm just going to have to calm down all, every, every five minutes. I'm going to think how I'm going to... So, so sometimes God prepares you so that you can be grateful for when he comes in breakthrough and also that you'll be mature enough to keep grateful and to, and to be able to shepherd under his word what great breakthroughs and blessings God might do. I'll never forget what I believe God said to me because it resounds in my heart. One day he said to me when I came through a test and it was like, well, I think I did about seven out of ten. I got through. I, I learned the lesson. It was all right. And then I believe God said to me, very uh, well done, but you're not yet ready for my greatest test. And I believe that what he said was this, the test of my blessing. Well, surely that's when God breaks in in power. Not ready for the test of his blessing. Hallelujah.